three of Adam Learns Random Stuff. Today, I'm talking to a childhood friend of mine, um, goes by the name of Daniel Fields. Uh, Daniel and I both grew up in Ithaca, New York, which uh, many of you will note as a hotbed of liberalism. And we are going to talk today about a number of things that uh, Daniel has done uh, since growing up together in Ithaca. He is uh, a corporate executive and has um, two things we're going to discuss today. One is a strategy um, for drinking beer and saving refugees. Um, so that's what we're going to call today's podcast. And let's start off by just learning a little bit more about you. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, so I we we had a little chat before this, and um, we agreed that we'll call this one, yeah, how to drink beer and save refugees, uh, which are two things that are near and dear to my heart. Um, but you know, I think we'll take this in kind of two parts, um, which is talking about a number of things that you can use to measure the quantifiable me of yourself and your health statistics. Um, in order to live a healthy life, um, which in my case enables me to drink beer um, to have the right balance. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, part two is um, I will I can talk about Brighter Fields Foundation, which is an organization I started to um, help refugees. Um, so we'll take it in that order. Um, and so Adam, following your um, guide here, is there anything that um, you believe that we should start with uh, based on our conversation earlier? Yeah, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about how some of your earlier experiences led you down the path of what I would consider doing something about it, um, which is one of the common threads that I see in these two pieces of our discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I guess um, over my life, um, you know, I feel like part of my maturity process um, was realizing that what you as an individual think um, doesn't matter so much. Um, and, you know, I think there's a few experiences which have um, gotten me to that point. Uh, what's more important is what you do and uh, what you do about it. You know, I suppose there's the old platitude, actions speak louder than words, but let me give you my take on that a little bit. Um, so, you know, as Adam mentioned, um, you know, we, we grew up in a uh, liberal environment where I think um, in Ithaca, I've, I found it to be an environment where um, there was a, a lot of people who were ultra liberal and a lot of people virtual, virtue signaling and um, a lot of people's um, street cred was measured by how loudly and how uh, articulately um, you could uh, express your views. And um, I had a, um, an interesting thing. So I grew up in, a, in that environment where it was important to me what I thought and what other people, you know, maybe what other people thought. And, um, and then I moved to Korea and I was an English teacher in Korea. And I found that it was, um, a, I, I faced something very different there. Um, and part of it was due to language and part of it was due to culture. And what I faced was that, um, you know, while the West and maybe Ithaca, um, your individuality matters and what you think and what you believe matters. Um, I found that less to be the case in Korea where people are more um, community minded. It's more about harmony and um, it's more collectivist and not so individual. Um, and 
you know, I guess just to give an example of what I'm talking about is I was an English teacher and I was leading the class through conversations. And one of the conversation topics where men have to go to military service in Korea, one of our conversation topics is, should women do military service? And that conversation topic uh, failed in a wonderful way, um, which had me learn quite a bit. Um, it failed, um, you know, I think for, first of all, for language reasons, because to Korean uh, English speakers, should means you have to. And, um, you know, so if I'd say, should women do military service, they just say no. Um, so it men sounds almost like what you're saying is that the idea of telling other people what they should do is not comprehensible in that kind of culture. Yeah, I think um, it, it's, uh, or maybe another way to look at it is that it's a lower ego culture. Um, and, you know, what you believe, um, people think, don't think that matters as much. Uh, in where I grew up in a uh, you know, liberal culture, being outspoken about what you believe is part of who you are part of your individualism. Um, I think what I found is that in a more collectivist culture um, with more harmony, what you individually feel isn't so important as what is in the world and also what you can make happen. Um, you know, so it gets back again to the platitude of action, speak louder than words. And, um, you know, so the cultural aspect in, in Korea that I discovered was basically, it doesn't matter, you know, so much what you think, um, it's, um, you know, what, what there is in the world and, and, you know, by extension, what, what can you bring into the world? So, um, you know, I, I guess, um, that was a real experience to me that, um, you know, just what you believe doesn't, um, necessarily, um, matter so much as what you can bring into the world. And, um, that leads into you know, the two topics of, um, basically a quantifiable me, um, to maintain balance and health in your life, as well as um, helping refugees. Great. Can you tell us, uh, tell me a little bit about um, what the impetus to sort of move towards this idea of quantifiable me was and Absolutely. how you started? Now, um, now actually, the, so, um, you know, I, su I suppose um, you and I know, and you know, probably some other people who know you know, um, that um, we, Adam and I see each other on Strava. Now, Strava is an online uh, portal and to record your exercise activity. So whether you go biking or running or swimming, you can record the activity, um, you know, and other people can give you kudos and you see what types of physical activity other people have been up to. Now, I've always been fairly active in my life, um, running. I played soccer growing up, um, you know, as a swimmer. Um, I like cycling. so. Um, you know, I, I've always had activity, but the impetus, um, you know, is that um, I had a friend and um, we used to go cycling together. We uh, seemed to be doing the same activity, um, you know, if, um, we were cycling. But um, in 2013, um, you know, about eight years ago, all of a sudden I noticed that um, I um, was getting into my 40s and getting heavier and heavier and my cholesterol was getting worse and I was getting, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> my weight kept creeping up. And, Such a common story. <laughs> yeah. And, 
And I, but by contrast, I had this friend and, um, he was getting thinner and thinner. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he started out uh, considerably heavier than me and he, he uh, was getting slower and eating slower. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not really fair. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and I kept asking him, I said, you know, what are you doing? We're doing the same bike rides. We're drinking the same beer together. Um, and, uh, he said, it's my fitness pal. And, uh, I'm a little slow, so I think um, you know. I noticed again we're I'm, we're going for a bike ride. He's still getting thinner. I'm still getting heavier. So I asked him again. You know, what are you doing, my fitness pal? And probably a third time because um, I. And he I probably thought you were his fitness pal. Uh, yeah, <laughs> And he said, "My fitness pal, my fitness pal, my fitness pal." And, and so I'm like, "Okay, what's that?" And um, so I'll talk about that in a second, but basically, um, you know, it's an online app that tracks calories and the impetus for me to quantify, um, you know, came from, um, watching, uh, my friend go in one direction and myself go another direction. And yet we seem to be doing the same exercise and drinking the same beer, which seems so, unfair. Yeah, that's right. Now, you know, it, it turns out that you can hack it. Um, and so, you know, I guess, um, what I want to, um, just talk a little bit about is the, the system that I used. Um, and, um, you know, starting in 2013, um, and, and I have gone backwards a bit, uh, you know, I entered the system where very quickly within a few months, um, I'd lost 30 pounds. Um, and, wow. you know, I went from being active and watching my weight creep up to really getting it under control and, um, you know, getting, um, much, um, much slimmer. Um, let me just pause quickly and say it's, you know, it's, it wasn't just a case of, um, of, uh, you know, cosmetics, although of course, you know, um, in society these days, people want to be slimmer. Um, but it was also, you know, the fact that I, um, saw my cholesterol creeping up and, um, you know, also sometimes I found that I kind of had to do the one, two, three heave ho in order to get out of a chair <laughs> or get out of a car. Um, whereas I should have just been nimble and been able to hop up, um, you know, and so um, those are some things that made me realize that I needed to get my health in order, um, you know, as my age was progressing. Um, yeah, so that was the impetus. And then um, there, there's there's a system here. Um, so let me let me start with the end. The end is I want to drink beer. <laughs> it's always a good end. Yeah. Are you a, a craft beer fan, Adam? I am not. I am actually a not alcohol imbibing person since my years in Dublin, um, which right. some understand. Um, okay. So I don't partake at all. Yeah, well, the, the understandable, because um, um, yeah, I think probably after um, a few Guinnesses, then you reach a point where you're <laughs> like, okay, that's it. But there's no such <laughs> thing as a few Guinnesses in Dublin, right? <laughs> um, but but in my case, I do like to drink beer, but I'm, you know, a person with balance. Like, you know, I appreciate good beers. Uh, you know, it's not about have going on benders and, um, you know, getting sloshed. Um, and, uh, you know, but I want to, but, it, but it's all about balance. Um, and um, so let me start with the end in mind. There's, a, there's an app um, that's called Untapped. And Untapped is a beer logging application. Uh, an app on your phone. Um, and, um, 
you know, there's a couple of reasons you use it. One is um, so that you can record what you thought of a beer and what the flavors were. Do a rating so that you can go back and say, hey, what did I like again? Um, because, you know, often when you're drinking beer, you're not in the best state to be able to remember precisely <laughs> what you encountered when you're drinking the beer. Um, but but also it's a social platform. Um, so you you put in what beer you had, uh, what the flavor notes were, where you had it, and um, you try to rack up as many unique beers as possible is one of the ways to look at it. And um, and uh, then you can see where other people had beers and you'd say, oh, okay, well, that looked delicious. I'm, I'm going to go get one of those for myself. You know, what my friend taught me, who was also um, drinking the beers on Untapped, um, and we were going out for bike rides, yet he was getting slimmer, was... You, you really have to measure. You have to measure calories in, calories out. And um, so, uh, you know, just long story short, I'll, I'll just quickly talk through the tools that um, we, you know, that he helped me to get. Um, first tool is uh, a watch. I'm pointing to my watch. Adam and I are on video here, but, uh, and um, the watch is a, a smart watch. So it measures um, it has GPS um, so that you can measure your runs and your bike and your activities um, and the distance. And it also has a heart rate monitor uh, built in reading the heart rate off the wrist. Um, so it understands um, your resting heart rate and your calorie burn. Uh, Adam's holding up his watch to me. Um, and by the way, um, you know, I, I so I use a, a Garmin watch um, and it's a relatively entry model that um, has the uh, heart rate coming off the wrist. Um, but, um, you know, if you want to learn a little more, um, there's a great, um, guy who does, uh, blogging, um, his name is DC Rainmaker. And, um, are you familiar with him, Adam? Stuff too. I've got, he tested the bike trainer I have. There's, there's great tests by DC Rainmaker. (laughs) Yeah. And in some ways, if, you know, if you're into, um, you know, exercise and sports watches, he has the greatest job in the world because, um, what he does is um, he he just tests out all the latest greatest devices, and he tells you about all the features. So if you you think, well, I want something that tracks my sleep, and I want something that tracks my heart rate, and I want so, then uh, he'll he'll review all the devices. So that's a good place to learn. DC Rainmaker, um, and uh, but you know my friend was his own mini DC Rainmaker, so um, he, he helped me out to get a watch. Now the watch. Um, syncs up in my case, um, you know, you could get a Fitbit or a Garmin. I have Garmin. Garmin syncs up to um, Garmin Connect, which is the app. And then, um, you know, the app um, goes to the cloud, obviously. And um, it the app tells you how many steps you've taken, how, what your resting heart rate has been, um, what your peak heart rates have been. It records all your runs. Um, it tells you how many types of different activities you've had. So you get a lot of information um, you know, about um, what, what types of um, calories you've been burning, et cetera, or what types of activity you've been doing. Now, for me, um, you know, that automatically syncs to Strava, which is the online portal, um, which shows um, the distance that you've run or um, the distance that you've cycled. Um, and it shows a map. Um, with GPS showing where you have gone. And that's where I see Adam quite a bit these days. (laughs) We'll see each other on Strava. So that's certainly a nice part of the puzzle. And, you know, you can see how much activity other people have been doing. But but then 
Um, and, and now, I suppose for the quantifiable meet for the balance, the most important part is coming up, which is the app My Fitness Pal. So um, Strava syncs to My Fitness Pal, and My Fitness Pal is an app which does calorie logging. Um, so the way that it does it is anything that comes off of my wristwatch in terms of calorie burn um, can be synced um, directly into My Fitness Pal. Um, and my fitness pal um, deals with calorie credits coming from runs and swims and cycling. Um, and um, you also enter in all of your food. So I enter in every bite that I eat. So and they it, did not install a sensor in the back of your throat. There's no. no, there's no, you know, they're not, there's not like an x-ray of your stomach after every meal, nothing like that. You just have to type it in, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure that's coming. Uh, and th and that's right. And, uh, you know, actually, my fitness pal, and it's interesting, Adam, because, um, you know, it's uh, you, you joke, but there's probably something on the way, you know, that will automatically sense what you consume. But um, the my fitness pal, you have to physically enter in what you eat. And um, there's two benefits to that if you want to monitor uh, or control what you consume in calories. First benefit is, um, you know, that by knowing the number of calories, you can look at how many you've had and you can moderate, you know, up or down based on how many you've had. And the second benefit is that if you, if you know that you have to go through the trouble of entering it into the app, then sometimes you control yourself and you don't have that extra piece of cake or whatever, because, or the ice cream, because you're like, well, then I'm going to have to enter it into my app and that's a hassle. So I just won't eat. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, well, I think I, I'm a little concerned about the shaminess of that whole idea, but I, I kind of get it. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah. And so that's the platform. And, um, you know, you, you set the net calories that you want to have, which is all the calories that you've consumed minus all the calorie credits that you've gotten from your exercise. Um, and, um, you know, that's essentially how you control it. Now, you know, for me, there were two non-negotiables. Um, one non-negotiable is I'm not going to diet. And, um, you know, if I want to eat ice cream or cake or um, nachos, I'm going to do it. And the second non-negotiable was I'm going to drink beer. Because remember, that's what this was all about. Yeah. So anyway, my fitness pal is, is the scorecard, uh, basically, which, um, you know, helps you track calories in, calories out and set the right balance. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it never tells you you can't. It just says, well, if you want that, um, you know, nachos or if you want the uh, extra slice of pizza, um, then here's how many calories you have to burn. And then you have to go out for a run or, um, you know, go a little bit longer on your bike. Um, well, that seems yeah. like a pretty reasonable strategy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that um, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think hopefully folks will find it really useful and helpful for them to think about, you know, things that they can do to sort of take control of this stuff. And, you know, my understanding is most of this stuff is free. Um, I know you can sign up for Strava for free, right? You know, if you buy the Garmin devices, Garmin connect is free. Um, and I don't know about my fitness pal, but I suspect that may also be the case for that. So just that's right. Something. Yeah. There's, there's free and there's premium versions. And, um, you know, in this case, uh, I use free versions of the app. Um, but, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, so, um, and just, just for those of you, um, you know, Adam and I are on video, we, we can see each other. Like, I'm, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not like an elite athlete um, by any means. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I try to get out there and do, um, you know, three or four activities a week, like maybe three runs and a swim um, and not counting just walking, you know, just for, but, um, and, and if I look at my VO2 max, um, which um, Garmin will tell you um, based on the first beat algorithm, uh, measuring your heart rate, uh, in my case, from my wrist with my Garmin Forerunner 235, um, my VO2 max is hovering around 47, which says excellent. Um, it's lower than it, uh, it's worse than it had been um, previously when I was doing a bit more running, um, and which puts me roughly at the top 20% to 25% of my gender and age uh, in terms of my, my health. Um, That's not bad. Yeah. So it could be better. You know, I have aspirations to get it to be better. My aspiration in quantifiable terms is actually, I would love it if I could um, do enough exercise. So my VO2 max would be higher than my resting heart rate. And Hmm. right now my, um, my VO2 max of 47 is slightly below my resting heart rate of 51, but I would love to flip that so that my VO2 max got up over 50 and uh, my heart rate was, um, you know, below uh, like 47. But um, and, and I, um, you know, when I was more religiously doing this quantifiable me stuff before I got um, a busy international job and a, um, a new baby, uh, I was keeping balance a little bit better. But those, hey, those are the excuses. Um, I've got something to aspire to in quantifiable terms. I'm not sure they're excuses. They may just be reasons. Right. Which is okay. <laughs> Um, again, I have, I'm always a little bit on the edge of discomfort with shaminess associated with exercise and food. So I always have to be, I always think about those things too, like how we view our own selves and how we look at ourselves and the other folks around us through that lens of, you know, their reasons and their excuses and their ways that we can be ourselves without as much shame as possible, I think. is Now, now I, yeah, now, Adam, I, I totally agree with you. And, um, you know, I guess, um, you know, for, for how it doesn't work this way for everybody, um, you know, measuring everything that you eat is not for everybody. In a lot of ways, you could call that quite obsessive, um, you know, and uh, behavior. Um, and, you know, maybe, um, you know, something that uh, is, is definitely not for everybody. I acknowledge that. Um, but, um, you know, I agree that, but, Part of the measurement for me is so that you don't fall into the trap of shaming, um, you know, certain food types, like I'm never going to eat a burger again, or I'm never going to eat, you know, a dessert. Um, And, you know, some people completely avoid carbs. Um, You know, for me, that's, um, it's, A, it's not sustainable. um, And, um, you know, and it falls in the category of dieting. And then B, it does fall into that sort of shame uh, category. Um, And so, you know, for me, this is kind of the quantifiable objective way to um, get out of the shame and get into the balance mode. And you can't really, you know, uh, drink craft beer if you're avoiding carbs. And certainly it doesn't, you know, help you to drink craft beer and save refugees, which is uh, kind of where I go next. Um, So, Let's talk a little bit about Brighter Fields Foundation and, and the sort of doing things aspect, you know, instead of saying what other people should do, but doing the things that you think you should do that led you to the path of creating that foundation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, a, you know, a great time to switch gears here. Um, and, uh, you know, while um, 
all the that network of apps and quantifiable me that I described is um, action oriented in terms of uh, maybe getting on top of your physical health. Um, Brighter Fields Foundation is um, an organization that uh, I started to help refugees. And um, let me let me transition into that a little bit. So, um, you know, as we were talking about earlier, um, you know, I think um, this platitude of action speak louder than words in the sense that, um, you know, it doesn't matter so much um, what you think. Um, it's uh, it's what you do um, is, is certainly a little bit of a background for why um, I wanted to wanted to start. Um, but let me just, um, you know, switch gears um, and say, um, you know, why refugees? Um, and um I, I, I suppose I'll give a, a couple answers to this. Um, you know, the, the first answer is um, in terms of current events, um, you know, over the past uh, few years, um, there, uh, refugees and asylum seekers have um, come into the fold quite a bit. Um, in the U.S., where, um, you know, which is my home country, um, the refugees came into the fore when at the southern border um, there was uh, detention facilities that were getting put up to stop asylum seekers and um, they're being held and families were being separated and kids were being you know put in cages and detained at much higher levels than before and um, you know so um, it, there was a uh, a crisis at the border uh, from that regard now meanwhile in Australia where um, I'm also a dual citizen and I currently, you know, live in Australia. I've been here for 16 years. Um, there's, there's another um, humanitarian crisis um, around um, de- detention facilities, offshore detention facilities. So um, what um, some... Sorry, those offshore detention facilities, those are for refugees, people who are seeking asylum in Australia as well? Exactly. Yeah. So they're... Um, Primarily, people who have tried to come in by by boat, um, you know, from uh, the the um, the Middle East, but by way of let's say Indonesia, um, and um, you know they've been uh, picked up in their attempts to get to Australia, and um, they they've um, had been taken until recently to uh, Manus Island and Nauru, and um, on those islands, um, you know, the government basically built prisons and, and detained them and kept them there. And, um, you know, that for years and with no, um, path to, um, to get out. Um, and, um, in it, it's, um, in, in quite inhumane prison like conditions. Um, and, uh, if there's a book, if anyone's interested, Beirut, um, Beru's Buchani's, um, no friend, but the mountains, um, which I've read recently, he's, uh, he went on that path. He came as a um, Iranian Kurd, and um, you know he uh, was not safe in um, his homeland. Uh, he made his way to Indonesia, got on a boat, um, and the boat got intercepted. The boat almost sank, um, and uh, you know he he made his way through that path. Um, so there are those stories, and there's that inhumanity of people who are just trying to um, get a better life. So that's part one. Part two, um, for what got me interested, was in refugees was um, my uh, uh, my family, my mom, um, who um, you know has a good heart. Um, when when I was younger, um, she took on a family um, a, and helped out a couple of families coming from Bosnia um, during the Bosnian War. 
And, you know, just real quick, the Bosnian War, um, you know, was basically um, Slobodan Milosevic and the Serbians who were, um, you know, a, a Christian, um, and basically um, engaged in ethnocide or genocide against um, the Bosnians who are primarily Muslims. It, it, it was a war. It was horrible. Um, and, um, you know, I think my mom... Um, you know, realize that there's a lot of people that are escaping bad situations. One of the two of the Bosnian families um, moved to um, the U.S. They ended up in Ithaca, New York. And um, uh, my mom um, sponsored the family, helped them out with, um, you know, finding an apartment, getting furniture, getting clothing, um, setting them up with a job and, uh, you know, getting them uh, access to at least resources that could help them do that. Um, and, um you know, I guess more to the point, they became lifelong friends, um, and um, you know we're still friends with um, that that family. Um, but you know, I, I guess I just want to summarize both these situations as um, what interests me about refugees is that um, you know we all have problems in our lives. In my case, most of my problems are first world problems. So, you know, but uh, we all have problems in our lives. But just thinking about the horror of persecution or a war, you know, just coming to you. Um, I mean, you know, knock on wood, I've been, uh, we've been lucky that in my lifetime, there hasn't really been a, a major worldwide war or um, right. there hasn't been a war that's come to my country. But the thought that you would grow up with risking your life and, um, you know, that the, the people with guns coming through and um, killing people around you, having your friends and family being being slaughtered or persecuted um, is it, just horrible. And I, I don't believe that people have, you know, need to, should live that way. Um, and, and, and when they're trying to escape that, they should not, you believe, and this is something that I think probably we share, that the belief may be that, you know, maybe they shouldn't be put in prison for trying to escape something like that. Another thing that occurred to me as you were talking about um, your experience growing up with your mom is that I also feel like, is it possible that that experience of really getting to fairly intimately know of a couple families of refugees allowed you to see people uh, in that situation as people with as complex and complicated of an inner life as you have and with the experiences, the terrible experiences that they have experienced? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That was, um, you know, a big part. And, um, you know, I think it's also no accident that, um, you know, my own my own family is of um, immigrant background. Um, you know, they came from um, Russia or the or Poland or Eastern Europe. And um, there's a, a, a lot of political things happening then, a lot of religious things happening then. Um, you know, my uh, family roots are Jewish and, um, you know, that was a factor of um, people um, not being safe where they were or facing persecution and um, needing to find a better life. Um, certainly there, um, for some, there was an economic aspect to it as economic immigrants, but, um, you know, there, um, there's basically that history um, of, uh, you know, believing, you know, I believe that people should be able to find a, a better life and should, people should be able to live in a place where they're not being persecuted. I think that that I think is a belief that many of us hold. Um, I wanted to to step back a little bit to what we were talking about with the quantifiable me strategy, and in thinking about what you were talking about there, and what you were talking about in terms of deciding to form brighter fields. 
um, and that impetus to action. And I'm wondering if perhaps having gone through the quantifiable me strategy, having that impetus to action about your personal health and making good on it, basically pushing through that, which is, you know, it's not just a one-time thing. You're doing something every day towards a goal might have helped you in your desire and in your ability to do something like creating a whole foundation. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, the quantifiable me approach to, um, you know, my, let's say physical health, um, is, um, you know, consistent with, um, some, some things that I've, um, come across as I, you know, changed over my life and matured. And, um, to me, part of my maturing process was realizing that, you know, uh, what you feel and um, shouting your opinions, stamping your feet doesn't get you anywhere. Um, you know, it's it's what you do about uh, something. I, um, you know, subsequently, I've been in organizations um, where um, I, I worked for uh, Dell, which is a um, direct business, very um, quantifiable, very business driven. Um, now I work for Lenovo, which, again, is very results oriented. And um, you know, I think it's very important to have results. Um, it's very important to have impact. Um, and, um, you know, so I became comfortable, um, in basically looking to, um, create results and, and, and also, uh, and measure those results. So in the case of Brighter Fields Foundation, um, you know, the impact is, um, uh, and actually let me, let me just now say what it is. Yeah. Um, but, I was going there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Brighter Fields Foundation is a um, organization that I've set up to um, uh, give housing to refugees. That's what it's for. Um, and um, so it, um, you know, is again, there's this backdrop of both in the U.S. and Australia. You know, there's asylum seekers that have experienced horrible things, and they're getting uh, they're met with um, new potential f- um, free countries that are detaining them and um, making them so life's quite tough. And then, um, you know, you come in trying to move your whole life and you have to get completely set up again. Um, uh, one of the most basic things that I feel that you can give people so that they can get a leg up is home is a house. Um, you don't want to, um, you know, basically be living, um, on a, on a wage where all your earnings go get thrown into just, um, your rent. Um, and, so Brighter Fields Foundation is set up to give free and discounted housing to refugees. Um, and um, the, the goal is to help them start a new life. Brighter Fields. Um, so it's a, it's a play on words because my last name is Fields, Daniel Fields. But the, um, but the Brighter Fields is the idea that they've been in situations where they're persecuted. Um, but now is, is a time for bright, a brighter situation. Um, it's a time to be able to start a new life. And, and I would like to help people with that. Um, so and, yep. the, the foundation, so the foundation owns houses, sounds like, and when refugees are provided these houses or apartments or, or other living arrangements, do the refugee families that are provided them, do they end up owning these places or does the foundation continue to own them and provide them free of charge for as long as necessary? So, um, yeah, actually the foundation doesn't own them. The foundation is a, is a seeker of, um, discounted housing. Um, and then, but through fundraising aims to make the housing free. 
Um, so the, it's um, essentially Brighter Fields Foundation is a three-step process. Um, step one is to find like-minded landlords who are willing to offer housing to refugees at um, rates that are significantly below market. Um, okay. And uh, so um, that's step number one um, is um, because, uh, you know, essentially if I don't think people feel too good about donating money, let's say if, um, you know, the, you, all, all that's going to happen is it's going to benefit a landlord, um, you know, to uh, earn yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. obscene <laughs> profits. Um, so it's very important to find an inventory of um, below market rent housing. Step number two um, is find the refugees. Um, and now in my case, um, the um, first set of refugees that we found was partnering with an organization called Refugee Services Texas, um, you know, at times perhaps one of the largest um, refugee services organizations in, in the U.S. Um, and um, they help um, you know, they help refugees with all kinds of services. Um, so I was talking before about what my mom did for the Bosnian families, but in this case, Refugee Services Texas is a volunteer or, or a, a, a nonprofit organization that um, it, to, finds um, refugees and then finds them all kinds of services in the community. Um, so um, helps find find um, housing, um, helps find um, like job training, helps find um, English as a second language education if that's required. Um, all kinds of community services like, you know, furniture and clothing and the like. Um, so, um, you know, that's that's their deal. Um, but um, with Brighter Fields Foundation, the partnership is um, we would like to um, provide that inventory of below market rent housing to this organization that provides refugee services. And um, so that's that's how um, the first set of refugees coming from Afghanistan um, you know, they basically um, came out of the Afghanistan war and experienced the hardships and persecution there. And, um, you know, they made their way through um, and they had to go through all the, the UN agencies to be declared as refugee. They had to get all their background checks from um, the, uh, you know, the FBI and Homeland Security, CIA, et cetera, to um, make sure that they were, in fact, refugees. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're not just bludging. Um, and they... they um, <laughs> So and and they uh, eventually made their way in this case into the U.S. where Refugee Services Texas um, found them and uh, and and I reached out to Refugee Services Texas and said, hey, we've I've got an inventory of housing here, um, and uh, you know would would they need like to find um, would they, would you like to place them in the housing? And um, it worked out great. So um, and then the last step, step number three um, of Brighter Fields Foundation is fundraising. Um, to make the housing, you know, as free as possible. Um, so um, at minimum, they're getting um, heavily discounted rent. But um, by by then, um, crowdsourcing and fundraising, um, the aim is to make um, the to to make it all through donations um, rent free um, for the um, for the refugees and. Um, you know, so far, I guess we're almost a year and a half into it and um, have been able to provide um, almost a year of free housing um, to um, so, so far six refugees from Afghanistan. That's amazing. Like me, if you see that, oh, my gosh, you know, um, there's a there's a refugee or asylum seeker crisis in a lot of places. But how can I help? Um, well, one way to help go to brighterfields.org. And, um, you know, have a look at what we're doing and um, also appreciate anybody's kind support. 
Great. Yeah, absolutely. We'll link that as well on the uh, on the podcast description so that hopefully folks can find it easily. I also wanted to mention that there's a very large, I live uh, outside of Syracuse, New York, which has a very large refugee population historically and continues to um, from all around the world, um, in particular on our north side. So um, that's there's there's a lot of opportunity in your close to your hometown. 